0: Welcome to 100 PM, the show where we interview 100 active product managers from startups to enterprise, everything in between, all from one great city every season. If you're joining us for the first time, be sure to visit our website, 100productmanagers.com. That's the number 100, productmanagers.com. It's the web's largest single free resource for product management topics. We've got tons of great articles about business, technology, and design, fabulous contributors, and the official must-read, listen-to, follow list. As recommended by our incredible guests week over week. It's season one. We're here in sunny Los Angeles. I'm your host, Susanna Bate, resident instructor at General Assembly and founder of The Development Factory. Welcome and thanks for listening. How does a rock and roll frontman covered in tattoos fit in at an enterprise software company servicing Fortune 500 clients? As it turns out, surprisingly well. My guest today is Chris Berretton. Senior Product Manager for Cornerstone On Demand. And we're going to talk about the politics of corporate life and what it means to be agile in an organization with over 1,800 people. So why does an entrepreneur give up a business that he built from the ground up Sure. To go and be inside of a company, and it's a large company. It's like eighteen hundred. You said yeah, it's very so. Big. <laughs> not to say that you're a, a cog in the wheel, but that's a I'm big very machine. I'm
1: Right. The big so, machine. what's the appeal there? Um, the big appeal for me was to learn from the CEO. Um, Adam is about thirty feet away from my desk, and uh, he's obviously built a company way larger than I ever did. So, I figured in the interim of figuring out kind of what I'm going to do next, this would be a really good place to learn from somebody who's done it on a grand scale. Great.
0: How would you describe
1: your personal mix of skill sets? It's a great question. Um, I think I'm much stronger on the vision side and understanding where the market has opportunity and dynamics uh, more so than I am on the writing user stories and managing the process side of things. Um, and then my second biggest strength, I think, is leading the teams. So uh, part of what I think I've done at Cornerstone fairly well so far and what I've done in the past with my company uh, was really find great talent and, and bring the, those people up, kind of produce those people, if you will, um, and really kind of energize teams. So. My two strengths are definitely on the, the management side of the people, and then the vision side of the product, uh, and then the third piece of that is the visual design side. So um, I'm a pretty strong designer, I don't think I'm the best designer, but I can get the point across and get us to the next place.
0: I mean, this is one of the things I think that's so interesting. And then also challenging about product management is Mm -hmm. you're in that pressure cooker between technology business and design Mm -hmm. Um, you could be any sort of you know mix of those skill sets and then what's the right mix you know especially if you're somebody that's learning to go into this or wanting to go you know what's the right thing what would you say where would you put your money on
1: for bolstering skills I think for bolstering skills you should spend the time on the things you're not naturally good at. Um, So if you're going to like a GA or any sort of extracurricular learning scenario or opportunity, that's where I would spend my time. Um, I do think though that there's a nice blend of strengths in product management that can benefit each other. So like there are people on my team who are great on the business analyst side of things. There are people on my team who are really, really strong at managing agile process. Um, those are things that I'm not great at, but I can lean on those people for support in. And likewise, they can lean on me for product vision and understanding what we're capable of actually accomplishing.
0: So what's the, the construct of your team in terms of total people? How do you fit into that constellation? Sure. Um,
1: I believe there we're at 35 product managers at Cornerstone now. Um, I run one of the products called Extended Enterprise which is kind of an offshoot of our big core product which is our learning management system. Um, the LMS team has three PM's specifically and then an overarching kind of lead PM that manages that product and then I kind of am this satellite to them. Um, we each have our own pod of anywhere from five to ten engineers and then engineers in QA I should say and then we have sort of a satellite design department and uh, front end department that support all of the different pods within Cornerstone. So we're we're an interesting mix. We don't have design and and UX and front end on the dev pods at all, uh, which is challenging sometimes.
0: (laughs) And and so is it challenging because you're all kind of fighting each other out for the attention of that shared pool of UX resources? I,
1: I wouldn't say fighting is the term, but there's definitely a, a need for more resources, um, as there always seems to be, but uh, I think what that's done more so than create any fighting for the resources is create not necessarily the best-case scenarios in how we build the user experience. Um, So because those guys are so short-handed, we're making decisions as PMs on front-end scenarios that could probably be better served somewhere else. Right, so
0: that makes sense. Right, I mean, I, I, it absolutely makes sense. And then at the same time, a lot of PMs really want to own more of the UX. I mean, this is another sure. pattern that I see where sure. you know you're so integrated, you're integrated with the customer view, mm-hmm. you're integrated with the vision mm-hmm. that sometimes it can seem uh, like the long way around to have to drop the work off.
1: And then go back. And, and primitively and speaking, them. at the yeah.
0: desk of a UX designer and say do something great. Sure,
1: sure. I think, however, that being said, you know, understanding your strengths and weaknesses can allow for product managers to own the process but pull the right talent in. And I think that's where we should be really good uh, is leveraging the different skill sets that the team brings to the table, not trying to be all of them at once. Um, I think the product management in general is an interesting place to be because you're sort of, what every team satellite's around, but you're not anyone's direct boss. So everyone kind of reports to you, but you have to influence them to want to do what you want to do and where you want to take things. And then each of those people go back to their own existing management structures and leadership teams. And um, hopefully those are cohesive enough and collaborative enough and communicative, communicative enough that the message you've created gets produced correctly but that's not always the case either.
0: Uh, I had somebody else on the project describe it as being a product manager is like being a mini CEO without any of the power. That's so
1: true.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you know we joke but this you know this is one of the things that comes up in class all the time mm. is that presenting to stakeholders component. You know you're Absolutely. you're a translator. You're you're talking to developers Absolutely. and developers see the world through a very specific Set of lenses. It's
1: very true. And then you and it have depends to, on which side of Dev you're talking about, front or back, right? Right. You're yeah. in the middle layer. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. No, that's a that's a an extra important insight. Mm-hmm. A front end developer, they're a little closer to the design side of thinking, totally. typically. But a back end programmer very logic based Yeah, and then they're going, you know how much great programming is here who cares if the input field is off? And right. You're like everybody. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much all that everyone cares the about. The
1: software that you build.
0: <laughs> Yeah. But so, you know, you're you're responsible to the business side, the mm-hmm. marketing team, the C-level executives, the you're sales responsible team. Yeah.
1: sales, the product marketing team, the general marketing team, the sales team, the client executives team we have, we have the customer support or customer success managers team, we have the engineering team, the front end team, the UX team, we have, yeah, we we are sort of the API layer between <laughs> all of those teams if you want to call it that.
0: who I'm not asking you to out anyone at Cornerstone, but in your <laughs> experience, which department is the most demanding on a PM? Which is the one that everyone runs from? It depends the time of from? year, I
1: think. Okay. So we have an interesting quarterly release cycle. Um, we're not a continuous development shop. So with that, every three months come these interesting cycles. Um, when we're releasing new products, the release communications people want all your attention because they need to know what to say and how to say it. And that also becomes a product marketing conversation. The minute that's done, it's a sales conversation. And then those people need your time. Um, and then from a day-to-day kind of scenario, I spend most of my time with my team. Uh, so it just depends kind of when and how what we're doing is in existence that people suck my time up. If we just had a big national conference uh, that we call Convergence. and that experience was very much all clients wanting my time. So for three days I was in session after session after session with different big corporate clients that we have that want to talk about roadmap, want to hear about what features are coming down the pipe, want to know where I'm thinking I'm going in terms of vision, but also very much want to tell you exactly what they want and how it should work. Um, And they want a lot of airtime for that, which is good. I mean, for a product manager, those are the people that you're building these things for. your job is to kind of find the patterns and the vision in all of that feedback, but it can be daunting at the same time.
0: (laughs) How, is it different when your customer is an enterprise level sort of customer themselves versus, you know, a business to consumer? And how is that different?
1: I think it's a much slower pace, first of all, and the expectations are much greater. So sales cycles are typically much longer, The level of critical path, I'll call it, is severe and big corporations that have compliance driven scenarios that have hundreds of thousands of employees. Infrastructure is super important when you sell something to a LinkedIn, who's one of our big clients. They've got obviously thousands and thousands and thousands of users that this thing has to work for. When you're in the B2C space, I think there's a little more flexibility in terms of kind of MVPing products and releasing them and iterating quickly, but in short bursts, we're releasing things in big chunks that have to go through tremendous user acceptance testing, that have to go through incredible load balance testing that we have to make sure are incredibly secure for the pharma companies of the world. And It's a, it's a different game, for sure, at Enterprise versus B2C. And I'd, I wouldn't say one is better than the other. I like B2C better, personally, but I'm in B two
0: B. You're here. Well, you're here to learn. Yeah. There's the. Uh, you know. Are you familiar with startup vitamins?
1: Yes.
0: Yeah. So they have that one. Fuck it. Ship it. Yep. Sounds like that's not a mantra that you guys use will at Cornerstone. never happen, that cornerstone.
1: <laughs> What's the and Cornerstone if it does, it equivalent? And a massive problem. Uh, the Cornerstone equi- equivalent is D Scope. D Scope. D Scope.
0: <laughs> oh man.
1: So, Make sure it works, even if it's less large than you wanted it to be
0: right no bugs at any cost powered by just to go back to your entrepreneurial past sure versus your (laughs) intrapreneurial present in your entrepreneurial past powered by really sort of built products for businesses so business would come we got
1: to that point um when we started we really intended to be a b2c it originally started as a consumer photo hosting platform before mobile was mobile um When that started working, we saw, it was because it was a photo storage site, we saw camera phones starting to happen. I remember I had a Palm Trio that had a stylus that pulled out of the back, and I think it was like a half a megapixel camera that almost was worthless. But we were in that environment and saw that coming. Um, So we originally built then the next layer of picture healing at the time was a photo sharing app, but it shared from your phone to our storage site. And then we were getting pictures of things like sandwiches and we didn't understand what was going on at first. Like why are you keeping a picture of your sandwiches? So you guys were at the bleeding
0: box? edge of the amateur foodie photography uh, world? Yeah, it was
1: interesting. Um, and then we decided, you know what, let's scrap this web based shoebox, if you will, where people keep keepsakes and become about the moment, right? And that's really what we were seeing in the photos that we were collecting from the mobile devices was it was more about what was happening right now and wanting to share that moment, but there was no way to share it yet other than push it to a site like ours and then grab it from a site like ours and put it on MySpace or Facebook at the time. Um, so we built a photo sharing app and that was doing fairly well until Instagram just crushed us. Um, after that, we kind of had to come to the table and figure out you know, what what are we good at, what are we bad at, what do we know, what don't we know. And the whole point of the, the business has always been to support nonprofits through technology. Um, and at that point, the model was based on this point system, the more you use the platform, the more our, our ad revenue went to your favorite organization. Um, when we decided to come back to the table and figure out, do we kill the photo sharing thing because Instagram's totally won, um, what do we do next? Next really became a platform for nonprofits to build mobile applications easily. So we were sort of this do-it-yourself mobile app builder. The problem that we identified was that nonprofits all wanted to go mobile but didn't know how to go there or have the budget to go there. Uh, So we kind of created what you would consider like a mobile roadie nowadays for nonprofits back then. Um, That started working fairly well. We had decent traction with that. And then we met Habitat for Humanity, ended up building a platform for Habitat that was sort of a custom version of the platform. And that was really our kind of foray into the B2B, instead of B2C perspective. Um, Habitat has 1700 affiliates, and they wanted one mobile application that serviced all 1700 affiliates. And at first we didn't think we could do that, Um, and we realized we had already kind of built the underlying technology to pull that off based on the user's location. So we accepted the contract, moved into that space and built basically the CMS backend with the mobile app on the front end that allowed each of the 1700s to manage their content, if you will, their volunteer opportunities, donation requests, et cetera. Uh, but based on the user's location that had the application, we changed the content dynamically for the local affiliate. Um, once we did that, it kind of opened the doors for us to work with these big kind of chapter-based organizations Uh, So, the project that Powered by is currently working on is for uh, Children's Miracle Network. And that's a big mobile application for all 170 children's hospitals in North America, um, really to manage their corporate fundraising partnerships within their territories. So again, we're using that (coughs) location-based mobile concept, but kind of repurposed for the way that they do business. so it kind of morphed into that. It was never intended to be that. But pivot, pivot, pivot. Right?
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> how, do, how do you think it's different or how is it different for you? Kind of product managing from the vantage of a, of a third-party consultant, right? So when a company like Habitat or whoever comes to you and mm-hmm. says, you know, build something and we're not technology. We're, and so you're... you're managing a product for somebody else right. for a term. And that's totally. its own beast.
1: Totally. Yeah, and you're probably well aware of that experience. Well, yeah, it's, oh. it's
0: certainly <laughs> part of my... But yeah, maybe yeah. I'm just looking for solace. Yeah. Tell me something good,
1: please. Uh, it, I think at the end of the day, that's all about setting proper expectations. And we made the mistake of not doing that well a few times uh, that bit us in the butt later. But I think... Building that relationship and helping them understand the process that you're going to take them through is really kind of paramount to making a successful product at that point. Um, And then creating terms that are equitable on both sides for managing that going forward. Not something where you're going to gouge somebody for the upfront costs and just consume, 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 try and make the money and run away. With those big enterprise deals, it's about a lasting long-term relationship, I felt like. really making it something that we could partner with them on because we were an extension of their business ultimately. They were an an extension of ours, right? Um, It was almost as if we were sort of this outsourced office for them, uh, the way that we ended up going through that. Right,
0: right. And I guess my question to you, and this is opinion, People talk a lot about, should I insource development, should I outsource development? That's a separate beast in conversation that I don't want to touch, but (laughs) I'm curious what you think, having now been on both sides, Mm -hmm. would you advise a company to allow a third party like powered by, be the product manager, be that sort of out of house extension of product manager? Do you think it's a role that every company with product should internalize?
1: I think the answer is both. I think it's kind of two-sided and really dependent on the company's strengths. Um, Children's Miracle Network, for example, incredibly strong company. They have an awesome in-house innovations team. Um, they have their own in-house web development team, and they do a really great job on the products that they build. But they didn't have the mobile expertise, and we did. Uh, so we were an extension of their team by kind of having that that thing they didn't have, and that's where the relationship really worked well because they had a head of product and we had a head of product. Um, and it was easy to have those conversations. When it's really hard when you're outsourcing things is when you think you know what you want and you ask someone else to do it, but you have no way of communicating that the right way or an effective way. You generally get something close to that back from those outsource companies. Um, but it's not, not a very fun process sometimes if it's if there aren't the right people on both sides, I guess is where I'm going. Um, we at Powered by did both at the same time also. We have an in-house team and we had always some outsourced people. Uh, we'd pull people in for certain projects, We pull certain teams in for certain projects, but we had our core unit as well. And uh, sometimes when we didn't project manage well, it was our own mistake on why outsourcing was going sideways. Uh, because a lot of times when you outsource people just tick the box that you give them and they don't think creatively or care necessarily about the outcome because they did what you asked and they should get paid for that
0: right yeah or didn't ask the right questions or up to, front. Yeah, exactly like you said <clears throat> We talked you know offline before about product management being this sort of black box of mystery <laughs> for a lot of people it's like sure. what is that even? Um, what do you think is the most misunderstood? aspect of product. I mean do your friends even know what you do
1: no <laughs> I think they have a semblance of an idea of what I do and I've actually more recently been asked the question because before I was the CEO of my own company so that was an easier thing to grasp uh, now they're like I, I know you work for some big like enterprise software I think like what do you do Are you writing code and I'm like no <laughs> not exactly but I think the the misunderstanding is that there is just this giant room of people or young kids eating pizza, writing code in the dark kind of thing, and that nobody's supervising them, and everyone's playing table tennis or pool, which does happen. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of pizza at Cornerstone and a lot of table tennis, including trophies.
0: Right. I was going to say, you yeah. just took me through <laughs> just took what through appeared to be picture. a carnival <laughs> on a Tuesday afternoon. Yes. Um, so, yes, okay. I
1: mean, it does happen, but there is definitely um, – a lot of pressure and a lot of demand on time. And, uh, you know, we're dealing with fortune plus companies. So at the end of the day, if this stuff doesn't work that we're making, it's really expensive and problematic and legally problematic for both sides of the equation. Um, I don't know if that answered the question or not. Absolutely. <laughs>
0: what's, what's the hardest lesson you've learned on the job since being here at Cornerstone?
1: I'm still figuring out the I guess the politics of corporate life, like I'm very fast, I think I like making things work and making decisions and moving quickly. It doesn't work like that here <laughs> or any big company. I worked briefly for Mass Mutual as a marketing director when I was much younger um, in between touring life and starting my own company. And I remember that there, but I forgot about that when I came back to this life. and. Uh, I'm still figuring out how to shut up at the right time. I guess <laughs> I don't know if I want to learn to do that. I may just decide I'm not that guy.
0: But, right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely a lot of chains of command. How right. how many layers of, of decision making do you typically have to go through? I'm sure it varies yeah, depending it, on the decision.
1: It it does for sure. Just from like a high level um, product leadership perspective. Um, I'm a senior product manager, so I think there's one layer below me and one or so above me before I had a product, but I just learned we have a title called product manager manager. <laughs> so, I don't know who that is, but there's somebody who's a product manager manager. <laughs> <laughs> but you've never met but them. But Maybe I've met them, and I just don't know that's their title, but we were sitting in a presentation about org charts, and it was on the org chart, and I laughed and was like, is that a real title? Someone's like, yeah, that's we have that at Cornerstone. I'm like, oh, God. Okay. <laughs> so there's maybe layers that I'm unaware of still. Right. <laughs> I've been here for six months. So, so
0: it's it's <clears throat> it's definitely then, it's a choice, right? This is, I have students asking me all the time, how do I get a job? What's your advice? And, and, sure. and I always give them the answer they hate to hear, which is, it depends, yeah. you know? No two situations are the same. But, totally. you know, one of the things I like to say is, Remember that you're auditioning opportunities as much as they're auditioning you, and I think totally. having a sense of, am I the kind of guy that likes to have to go 17 layers deep sure. to get a yes, or am I the kind of guy who's used to just Making bulldozing? Yeah. yeah, you're a bulldozer. <laughs> yes, I am. Right, a bulldozer learning to prune with scissors. Yes, in a very large organization. M- very much so. Right. Choose your environments wisely. Prospective product managers everywhere.
1: Yeah, I uh, I think one of. Well, I guess I shouldn't say that. Never mind. We'll keep going.
0: (laughs) All right. What about um, books, podcasts, influencers? Yeah, give us two or three that you think should be on everybody's reading list.
1: Sure. So, product specific. Um, A book I'm reading and just about done with that I actually really, really enjoy is uh, Peter Thiel's book, Zero to One, um, which is a play on technology, Yeah, didn't catch on to that. Um, A book I just finished on management or managing creative companies is the book from uh, the CEO of Pixar at Catmull uh, called Creativity Inc. Um, I'm a nerd for... A ton of blogs, but the one that comes up right away is called Futurism. Um, It's more about like the confluence of um, biotech and artificial intelligence, and sort of a lot of those things kind of coming together. Um, But I read the typical TechCrunch stuff as well. Um, I have a number of, I have an email address specifically set aside for news articles from Tapiphany and uh, Wired and all these other sources that I just, when I have a minute or I have, like before you came, I had about 10 minutes before the interview and I'm like, I don't have enough time to start another project. So I read something when I have those moments. Um, Podcasts, gosh, uh, Freakonomics is one that I love. It totally isn't related to the job necessarily, but I feel like at the end of the day, Part of product is not just understanding the technology, it's also understanding the people that you're you're communicating to at the end of the day. And having those different perspectives of where things are going and what's happening outside of what you spend your day-to-day workload on is super important to having a future vision of where to take things.
0: Such a beautiful answer. We we (laughs) tapped into the book nerd in you and then all of this delicate, that was nice. Thank you. Yeah. This is kind of like not in the right order of things, but I wanted to ask you. So the other thing that comes up for me a lot is realizing that I spend a lot of time teaching concepts that, man, I wish somebody had taught me, oh, yeah, um, sure. <laughs> you know, and I, and I say this is a luxury. I mean, even, even sort of the, the, the cornerstones, pun intended, <laughs> nice. like what Lean Startup, right? I mean, yeah. this is a book and, and a sort of movement that's only a handful of years old, mm-hmm. and yet it is so completely, Freaks. yeah, so yeah. completely changed the landscape of things. I guess my question is how many of the frameworks and the tools, you know, lean model canvas, personas, all of these customer yep. Steve Blank four step customer framework. I yep. mean, how many of these tools have you adopted or or you know, do you adopt versus yeah, we know they're out there but man, we're just kind of winging it as best as everyone.
1: Man, so in in my former company we used quite a bit of all of those things, depending on where we needed to be. Um, the current CEO, of powered by, is a good friend of mine, and we worked together for years before he took that seat. He was a former Deloitte consultant, so we borrowed a lot of also of the Lean Six Sigma stuff. Um, at Cornerstone, we don't do as much of that as I would like. We kind of have a semi-structured process of how we review ideas from our customer success portals and things like that, but I'm really pushing on um, design sprints here, which is something I value tremendously, and Google Ventures slash IDO have really kind of paved the way for communicating that well. Um, We used to just call them discovery sessions for all that, and they've kind of made a formal, like, five-day process out of what we were doing, Uh, not because we were doing it, obviously. They also discovered that. Um, The other thing that I think is more and more interesting are just coming up with our own versions of some of those concepts, like with Lean Startup and the whole MVP concept and pulling that in. Oh, we use Agile at Cornerstone, I guess I should say. We're finally an Agile shop. Not all of our dev teams, but some of our dev teams. Uh, mine is, thankfully. <laughs> uh, no more waterfall and giant 130,000 page specs. But uh, really kind of how do we adapt those to our existing processes less than like how do we follow those books by, by or those frameworks by the code. Right. Um, so for example, the whole design sprint concept of five days at Cornerstone is highly unlikely to get that many people in the same room for that amount of time. But we've adapted kind of a three-day... Process that we're going to take out to Texas, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, and do with a handful of really big clients over a course of a couple of days. Um, and that won't prove the same kind of prototyping MVP outcome that that book is talking about, but it will give us clear insights and actionable kind of initiatives that we can take to refine the product to better suit the customers that we have that are using it.
0: Well, and and they say about agile um the agile that's right for you is the right yes. agile there's yeah, exactly. you know that's kind of the agile, beauty of quote it
1: unquote.
0: yeah exactly so imagine we're sitting here and you know this is my this is typically my luxury but mm-hmm. i'm projecting it onto you okay. you've got a room full of people they're looking to you for advice how do i get into this industry how do i you know the conundrum how do sure. i get experience when i have none what would you say to a prospective product manager?
1: I would say a handful of things. One, I would definitely take like a a Udemy or Coursera or Cornerstone has a new platform called CyberU course online to just kind of be introduced to the concept. Um, And if that's something that's interesting to you, then find a GA, for example, that you can go to and kind of do an immersive course um, it's not right for everybody, but like you said, there are such different colors of people that do this from different perspectives uh, If that's exciting to you and you've gone through that stuff Then it's like find side projects and even while you're doing that stuff find side projects If You've got a friend who's probably got a startup. Just go volunteer to help out and get in the weeds um, Well, you probably have a friend in a startup if you live in Santa Monica or downtown or San Francisco or wherever right, but Um, Doing it is everything. I don't think you're going to go get a product management job by just going to GA or just taking a course on Udemy and applying with a resume that has no relevance to technology. Um, I would also say that I've seen people track up from project management because then you get some experience in the agile workflows, understanding the development life cycles, that kind of stuff. Um, But ultimately. I think it's all about educating yourself and finding projects that you can use as a learning platform. If that makes sense.
0: For sure, it does. For sure, it does. Last question. Whoa! <laughs> I know we're done already. Um, do you have kind of a, a personal mantra or quote? You know, something I can put on a mug and sip out of and <laughs> say. This is this is Chris's ultimate POV distilled down to a sentiment.
1: Uh, God. Um, there's a handful I guess of this too my girlfriend just got me a mug that says got singularity because I will bore you to tears with my opinions on where that's going but <laughs> um, one of my mantras is humanity is perception and that's tattooed down my spine and my whole thing with that is that at the end of the day it doesn't matter what reality is to you that reality is something completely different to the person next to you and if you can accept that then you can move on hopefully and then collaborative way. So what's real to you is different than what's real to me and hopefully we can find a middle ground there.
0: Right, absolutely. I have, I have a variation on that. It's uh, whether you think you are or whether you think you're not, you're right.
1: Yeah, and that's good. It's,
0: uh, it's true, right? We, we have made up our minds and so we have our to. consumers about
1: our products too. That's very true and that's very hard to change.
0: Yeah. One of my favorite all-time books about it, Positioning, Jack Trout. Did you ever read it? I
1: haven't read it, but my girlfriend is currently reading it. Really?
0: This This, this is an old book. I think it was 71 it came out. Oh,
1: wow. Um, Red and white cover.
0: Red and white cover. Yeah, if you are the book nerd you purport to be, you know, he writes with such conviction. Mm. And uh, even though it's a lot of old school sort of marketing and brand, I think the concept that's the most powerful is, People are going to make up their minds, so if you can help them make it up the way you want them to, that's the best thing you could do as a brand. Because once they decide otherwise, it's there too.
1: That's very true.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, check it out. And uh, thank you so much for being part of the project. uh, Thank you. Richer for having had your opinions here today. You're listening to 100 PM the official podcast for 100productmanagers.com. If you haven't been to our site, please check it out. We have so many great resources for anybody looking to learn more about product management or starting a technology business. I'm your host, Susanna Bate. Join me here. We've got a new conversation every Tuesday. We'll see you next time.